welcome to another edition of the In Search SEO podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. Today, we have a UX aficionado for you, Khalid Saleh, CEO of Invest, opens the world of UX's role in CRO to us with tips like how to speak to user psychology with your UX in order to boost sales, how to drill deep into the user mindset and build UX that aligns to it. And what messages do you want your UX to send and how do you send them? Plus, we talk about what's likely competing with your featured snippets for user attention. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by the debonair, the decorous, Sapir Carabello. Hello, Morty. Hello, Sapir. How goes quarantine week number? Who the hell knows? <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> same old, same old. Same old, no, same actually, old. No, actually, you know what? My sister gave birth last week. Oh, that's so cool. I'm, I'm officially an aunt. Oh, that congrats. So, yeah, cool. yeah. Are you going to be the cool aunt? Are you the cool? You're not a cool aunt. I, oh, for sure. I'm going to be like the super cool aunt. Yeah, let me let me show all of my, is it a boy or a girl? Didn't even ask. It's a boy. It's a boy. And we always have to ask, how, how big is it? Because that's like totally pertinent. Like, was it a watermelon or a cantaloupe? What? How big was the baby? Who asks those kind of questions? Everybody asks. Always asks. The first question was, people uh, ask. Two kilos and seven hundred grams. Two kilos. Put that in pounds for me. Uh, a pound. A kilo is two point two pounds. I have no right. Idea. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't know why. People, I don't know why people ask that question. I do the same thing. I'm guilt. I'm like, totally guilt. I just did it. Oh, how big was the baby? Who, who cares? Like, what's the difference? Oh, oh, it was seven pounds. Oh, thank God it wasn't eight pounds. Or oh, it was eight pounds. Oh, thank God it wasn't seven pounds. Like, what, what's the difference? I know, right? I don't know. Is it a hairy baby? Or is it not a hairy baby? No, no. No, he's the sweetest, perfect, most perfect baby. Of course he is. Every baby is perfect <laughs> until they crap their pants and you have to change them. And they wake up in the middle of the night. Then they're not perfect. That's. You know, that's the responsibility of the parents. I'm just like... You know, right, you have to do on. nothing. Oh, that's crazy. But they were in the hospital <laughs> during co- Corona, giving a baby during yeah, a Corona exactly. baby. That's why we couldn't visit them. So Wow. Good. F- yeah. Wow, that's great. You don't have to go to the hospital. <laughs> awesome. One less thing to do, in my opinion, but whatever. <laughs> so I'm looking at something like that. One less family obligation. Okay. <laughs> Do not forget, we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on SoundCloud. And you may subscribe on iTunes. And check it out. You can head over to Twitter and you can find the podcast on Twitter. That's right. The podcast has a new Twitter handle. Part of our um, exciting announcements we talked about last week. Well, here it is, a brand new Twitter page for the podcast. The Twitter handle is insearch underscore SEO. Head over there, check it out. Also, we're putting out a brand new newsletter for the podcast. You can stay up to date on what the podcast is doing, what's happening, who's coming on the podcast next, and be alerted whenever a new episode drops. Plus, we'll throw in some special extra tidbits around news that we think you should read, articles that we think you should read, and we'll paste in some of the top tweets we've seen over the course of the week. So sign up for the newsletter 
get some cool stuff. The link to the newsletter can be found on the Twitter page. It can also be found in the blog post that harbors this podcast. And if you head over to the Rank Ranger blog, click on podcasts. Under resources, you'll see another place where you can sign up for the newsletter. So definitely check that out. So exciting new stuff for the podcast. Yeah. Yes. There's more. But wait, there's more. There's more. On the okay. tw- on the Twitter page, if you follow the podcast on Twitter, you will get exciting, new, exclusive content that will appear nowhere else other than Twitter. So we're going to go, for example, our Deep Thought series, which will feature me going deeper into some of the things we spoke about on the podcast, whether it be the interview or the news. You get exclusive thoughts from me that are deep and highly cynical. So head over to Twitter, go to insearch underscore SEO, follow the podcast. And in the future, we're going to have some bonus material coming from our guests. Can't do that just yet. I have a queue of interviews I already did. Once those, once we finish those, the newer interviews will have some bonus material, extra material from our guests. So again, head over to Twitter, go to insearch underscore SEO, follow the page and get exclusive awesomeness from the podcast. I think this is the slowest you ever spoke. I know. I'm trying to, because it's, you know, in search <laughs> underscore SEO. I'm trying to be dramatic. Go to the Twitter page. I'm channeling my inner William Shatner. Go in search <laughs> underscore SEO on Twitter. I think we got it. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever heard William Shatner sing? Oh. Go to YouTube. Google William Shatner's song. Google. <laughs> Go to YouTube and search for William Shatner songs, and you will find exclusive awesomeness. I don't know if you it's know exclusive, I'm but it's, a, that, it's awesome. But... It's so funny. He's horrible. It's yeah. great. Okay. Okay. Anyway, time to plug Rank Ranger. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I forgot what I'm plugging. Oh, yes. If you want to see <laughs> who's taking the top paid search spots if you want to track, I'll get to keep the William Shatner thing. If you want to track the ranking trends on the top advertisers on the SERP for your keywords, then you want the Google Ads Monitor. Head over to rankranger.com, sign up for a free trial, check it out so you can see what changes your competitors are making to your to their ads and how those changes impact rank. So again, Google Ads Monitor, check it out. Go to rankranger.com, free trial, no credit card because we're not spammy. You get 14 days free. Explore Rank Ranger. Okay, big stuff for you today. Big stuff for you today. Um, finally, our, our last of the XMX West interviews that we did, or I did, we did, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> yep, we're finally done with those. I did three interviews at SMX West. Khalid Sala will be here. He chatted us. He chatted us. He chatted up with us about the uh, emotional side of UX and how you tune yourself into the hearts of your users. Really deep conversation. I love that stuff. I'm a big psychology guy. I like Freud, which everyone hates, but I like Freud. Anyway, um, I, whatever. There's so many jokes you can make about that. We're just going to skip over all of them. <laughs> so no no phallic jokes about the Freud. Anyway, um, we'll get it. Also, after our interview, we'll get into some data. I've been meaning to share data with you forever. You are a lovely audience. Um, but because there was so many things with COVID-19 we've spoken about here in the podcast over the last few weeks, we just haven't gotten to it. So I finally get to get to it with you guys. 
It's um, some amazing data and some insights on what might be distracting the user's eye from your feature snippet wins, sort of like what SERP features or eye candy that are distracting the users, your users, your potential users um, from engaging with your featured snippet. Okay? So, mm -hmm. again, we're doing our interview first. We're going to check out some amazing insights from the freaking awesome conversation I had with Khaled Sela, CEO of Invest, back when the prospect of human contact didn't make us crap our pants, i.e. back at SMX West where you can actually interact with people. But that's like the scariest thing on the planet now, right? Like you walk down the street and someone's too close to you has literally mm -hmm. become the scariest thing ever. Like, oh crap, they're too close. Anyway, back when we were allowed to have contact with other people, I spoke to Khalid Sala all about um, what it takes to create UX that registers with your audience. So here's our conversation. Cut one. Welcome to a very special In Search SEO podcast interview session. We are live from San Jose at the wonderful SMX conference. And I am sitting here with the constantly quoted author and industry speaker. He is the king of CRO and the co-founder of Invest, Khaled Saleh. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So um, I have to say what I was researching, you know, I always do my research on my guests. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. I freaking love your LinkedIn pro. Can I read from it? Can I quote sure, from it? Okay. Sure. You have to check this out. Right? So, you know, you say the CEO of Invest and here, quote, no growth hacks, strong opinions, weekly health, hashtag do the hard work. Oh, yeah. You got to do the hard work. Especially oh, I in marketing. love that. So, like, no hacks. Oh, no hacks. Not. It's like, uh, because that's the most common question that I hear. You know, people are always looking for a hack. A trick, as if as if marketing is just a light switch you turn on and off. And I'm like, it's not. It's it's a lot of hard work. Thus, do the hard work. Do the hard work. Um, it's a flywheel that takes a lot of effort to move, but the minute it moves, you know, you just gotta keep pushing and pushing. It's an amazing thing because you like, take I don't know, take a relationship. Let's say, would you try to hack your way through a relationship? Definitely not. No, I of mean course <laughs> not. Right? Like that would be bad. You would end up miserable. Especially if you married that person there that you were you hacking. There you go. <laughs> uh, so like, why is work any different? Um, like, It's called work. Definitely. And, and I think that that's the problem. I always tell people, I'm like, ultimately it's a relationship. Um, if you're looking to have something sustainable, long term, it's about the relationship. So I'll, I'll throw a different story. Um, we have a client has been with us for a while and we have long term contracts. And one day he just decides, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm looking at the contract. We still have quite a bit of money. So I'm like, hey, can you at least pay a month because we have people <laughs> on staff? And the guy walks away. We're talking about you know, probably like, you know, between, like, oh, I'm sucks. not like, you know, above $10,000. That really sucks. Um, and I was just talking to my partner. And I'm like, I mean, by the contract, we can just get the money. Right. But it's the relationship. And it's funny because I know most likely they might not come back. But again, it's the relationship. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. You know, it is what it is. Somebody else is going to come and, and fill that place. So again, you always have to think about the relationship. It's a life is like life is not short. I mean, people say life is short, but in, in reality, like life is hopefully yep. long. So if you're going to think short term about like it's like that's stupid. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, I think lots of times people make decisions when it comes to mar marketing. They're stupid or delusional. <laughs> delusional. And that is like, it's like, what was I thinking? And and mind you, by the way, it's funny because I have to remind myself of this constantly. Every once in a while, I look at something, I'm like, oh, I can 
do this. I've discovered a trick. And I'm like, call it. Don't do this. Slow down. I'm like, this is just not good. And you know it's not good. Just back away from it. So It's hard. Oh, it's <laughs> it's hard. Is, it is. It is. So I want to talk to you about CRO and UX and UX and CRO, how they interplay together. Before, just a little bit, um, what is Invest? What do you guys do? Sure. So we've started Invest back in 2006. Um, in a life prior to Invest, I was a software architect. Um, so building lots of e-commerce for Fortune 500. And uh, 2005, I was software architect for Motorola. At this point, I can, I can share the name. It's been long. Uh, they still make flip phones? Oh, my God. You, <laughs> you don't understand. It was such a huge product, $35 million investment in three months, mind you. you know. uh, I had a team of about 120 engineers. Wow. You know, and it was myself as one of the software architects and, there, and two others. It was basically a software, like, you know, dreamland. We did anything that we can imagine. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, we released the, you know, the, the platform, and in a month, I mean, we had hundreds of thousands of people come and visit the site. But in a month, we've only had 10 orders, 10 orders for $35 million wow. investment. Uh, mind you, like, you know, some people lost their jobs. Other That's people, not good. Not a very good That's ROI. Good. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, again, like, and I, I would say, like, and some people lost their jobs. Some people decided, you know what, it's time to do something about this. Yeah. And thus, Invest was born okay. in 2006. Um, at that point in time, by the way, there was only two other companies doing conversion optimization uh, in the U.S. Uh, one of them since then had gone bankrupt. Uh, the other still continues so to So they weren't so good at converting, evidently. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. It's horrible because, I mean, like, you know, there, there's still really thought leaders in the, in right, the industry. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not I'm making Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you know the, the rest of this history. So we've been we've been at it since uh, since then. We've worked with large and small small clients. Oh, all good over. for you guys. Awesome. So we'll definitely link to your site in the blog post of Harbors of Podcast and, awesome. and check it out. All right. So I love CRO. I, mean, I love C. I have SEO. I, I love CRO because it pushes me to my limits because I'm not a I'm not a CRO expert. But there's so much psychology behind CRO, which I love psychology. All right, so before we get into that, just make sure all the, you know the audience is sort of on the on the same page. When we talk about CRO and UX and the interplay together, what are, what the hell are we talking about? Sure. So CRO, conversion rate optimization, is basically persuading your website visitors. You're persuading them to take the action that you want them to take on a website. Typically, it's a conversion. Now, if an e- if it's an e-commerce website, it's some, typically somebody placing an order. If you're a SaaS website, somebody subscribing. If your website is a lead generation, I need somebody to contact me, somebody filling out that, that form. So I always think, and of course, I'm biased a little bit. So I consider UX to be part of uh, CRO. Mm-hmm. UX to me is that user interaction with the website. Uh, I click on a button, the right thing happens. What I'm expecting to happen, happens. Um, so I always say UX is about the functionality, the functional aspects of your website. You want your website to be to be functional. So there's this famous saying from a Harvard professor that says, no one buys a quarter-inch drill. Everybody buys a quarter-inch uh, hole. <laughs> That's kind of the very famous saying, and people always shake their heads. And I tell them, like, I don't know about you, but I've never bought a quarter-inch drill. <laughs> I've never bought a quarter-inch hole either, to be honest with you. Like, and we just moved to a new house in Chicago. And I had like all these like you know, pictures and paintings, and my wife, who's my partner, kept on nagging me. He's like, when are you going to hang the pictures? When are you going to hang the pictures? And I'm like, okay. By the way, my house is the opposite. Oh, I'm it? the one. I want, like, we got to hang up the pictures. But I was like, yeah, you got to tell me where it goes. I want to hang it up already. Oh, my God. No, I'm, I'm, so like I'm not. The... It's the opposite. I'm the <laughs> nag. There you go. Yeah. Um, I go like you know, to, to Home Depot, 
you know, I get the drill. And I'm, oh, some people are really handy. Sounds like you might be I am. Uh, no, no, I oh, am you're not, not very oh, okay. handy. I think I am. <laughs> oh, at least it's right, uh, but I am uh, not handy. I, I know I am not, you know. Th- that's a whole other story. Like, I, I can do a whole show about well, things that, I've ruined. That'd be great. We should do that. Follow <laughs> yeah, up. There you go. Right. Um, so I, I, I get the drill, and I, and I start drilling, like, you know, and hanging the pictures. And I think to myself, UX is about having the nail on the wall. That's the functional aspect. And that's something I needed to do. Now, there's other elements to the process of looking you know, of, of what I did. There is a an emotional side, mm-hmm. my wife getting off my back, you know, so I have like no more nagging, you know, so that's the, that's the emotional side. So whenever people are buying a product, there's an emotional side yeah. that they're trying mm-hmm. to get. And then there's a social side, which is how I'm perceived within my friends when they come and visit and they see the pictures and like, you know, the beautiful basement and, you know, so... Anytime you are selling something on the web, there is a functional aspect. You want to make sure that the UX is there and people, when they want to check out, they're, they're able to check out. Mm-hmm. But also you want to focus on the emotional side of things yeah. and the social side of things. And that's, I think, where CRO is, focusing on those two aspects. It doesn't make sense to focus on the emotional and social aspects if you have a major bug in the side. That <laughs> right, that's people right. can't even finish the, the checkout. <laughs> we're, like, we're not even near emotions at this point. Exactly. It's like well, other than frustration. Get them, give them the basics, correct? And then after that, think about that second like, you know, second level of, okay, well, here's the emotional and social aspects. So I love that. There was, um, there was a, psych- a psychoanalyst called Theodore, named Theodore Reich, and he has a thing called listening with the third ear, mm-hmm. which basically, like, I understand you emotionally because I understand myself emotionally, and we're you know, fun- foundationally the same. So therefore, I could be empathetic or sympathetic or understand you. And I'm wondering, when you're doing CRO or you're looking at UX, how much of it is it about you being in touch with your own emotional experience so that you can project it onto the user? It's a tough one, I tell you. Um, okay. I always have to remind myself I am not the user. Because right, you go both ways with this. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so what we do is, is a bit different, which is sort of interesting, trying to get to those emotional and social sides. So lots of times what, what happens when people are, are thinking about psychology and then human emotion, what they do is they bring the users and they tell them, you know, so why did you buy our product? And what happens is that people give you type of mind answers. Well, I bought it because I need X, Y, Z. So I've learned over the years to never ask why you bought the product. I always ask, when did you buy the product? Mm. And when did you first think that you need to buy a product? Let me give you an example. So one of our clients sells these very expensive uh, bikes. You're talking about like, you know, just a regular bike, but you People are spending five to seven thousand dollars on it, and we're trying to figure out okay, so how do we increase conversions? And we bring some people who bought the bike, just bought it in the last 30 days, and we're talking to them. So I asked this one guy, I'm like, So when did you think about first, like, you know, buying this, uh, this bicycle because it's really expensive? He said, Well, it was Saturday morning, I was riding with a group of other, you know, uh, other guys, and I look at the guy who's leading uh, the group, and he had this amazing beautiful bike and I, and I asked the guy he's like so how did that make you feel he said well i felt very envious i'm like wow now as a marketer by the way that is a treasure but i can do so much as gold exactly like gold i mean um, you would never get that by the way no one's gonna tell you so when did you for why did you buy the bike because i I'm felt envious. <laughs> exactly i'm a bastard uh, and, and it's, it's so powerful because you go buy the bike yeah like, well now now you know where to, like your your pain point like exactly. you know where to focus and you know squeeze hard if you know the emotion you know exactly what you can do with as a marketer yeah. and i think that's where it becomes really powerful figuring out those emotions um what can you do to really play with those emotions? I'll give you another example. 
so one of our clients, basically, they, they sell apartments. And it's for retirement, basically a retirement community. And as they're doing the interviews, I'm like, you know, the pricing was right. Everything was right. People were just not buying. And it turns out that people were not buying because of their dining tables. People say, dining tables? Really? Well, as it turns out that the the dining tables that they've had, and they've had them in their house for, for many years and so many memories, were too large for the apartments. You know, and they just really had a tough time mm. giving up those dining tables. So, food for thought. You know, again, if you're able to drill really deep and figure out the emotions behind buying a product, yeah. oh, your conversion rate is a whole other level. So that's what's you know the first thing that strikes me. They're like, yes, like I know they're emotional, and I can go for it. Right, but the 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 good part of me <laughs> says, okay, I have to be careful. Right, I don't want to like. You don't want to squeeze too hard. You don't want to manipulate too far. How do you sort of know that? Which, in the long run, won't work for you, I don't think. How do you know? How do you balance that? I'll, I'll answer that by a story from one of our clients. It comes to us in 2011. The CEO at that point and a single person doing all the marketing. Yeah, Two-man operation. I mean, they were doing like half a million dollars. Nothing. <laughs> um, and it's amazing. I saw them go from about 1% conversion rate until about 2017, when they had gone up to uh, 8%, 8.5%. Very impressive. And what was a single-person marketing department, now they all of a sudden they had a, market, they had a CRO team uh, that's eight or nine people. But what they've done is they forgot about the relationship. They really used all the hacks, all yeah, the tricks, yeah. and, and people eventually caught on. You can't try and you resent that. Oh, and, and guess what? What happened to them? People bought an item once and they never came yeah, back right. to it. Interesting. And, and they just, people walked away until to the point we, we went from 1% to 8.5% and then they went down to about 2%. And I still remember their CEO called me. He's like, hey, you know, we went from like, you know, like, okay, we started at half a million, we went to 20 million, now we're down to a million in sales. And he panicked. And I told him, I'm like, you way over optimized. And I was being nice. I'm like, you over optimized this to the point that it was just loss of trickery. You're not going to trick people into a relationship. There is nothing, you know, nothing worse I could think of. Philosophically, I think it makes a lot of sense why this is. Nothing worse than feeling used. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And you can, unfortunately, you can do that. Uh, you know, the, there's lots of tricks that you can do, but eventually people catch it. People Every, catch people, it. Everybody and, catches on. People are not stupid. And, and, exactly. And if you think people are stupid, you know, I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, there is nothing that irritates me more than finding out that a vendor thinks I'm stupid or an employee for that matter. I'm like, come on, you know. I'm like, I'm I'm too nice. I will ignore once or twice. Right. But if you continue doing it, I'm like, come on, man. I'll I'll catch on and I'll be like, goodbye and good luck. And people are not stupid. Exactly. You're not, you're going to get caught. You know, speaking about this, when you're thinking about your UX, right, I'm not talking about like, you know, for a particular product in a particular moment. I mean, foundationally speaking, what do you want it to say so that people feel confident are comfortable making that that purchase. I mean, I I think what you need to do when it comes to UX, you need to make sure that the user experience and how they interact and what they expect on a website, whether it's a mobile site or the desktop version, is really matches what they what they're expecting. Um, it's funny because I was trying to buy an audio equipment a couple okay. of days ago, and I'm ready to buy, and I go and I add an item to the cart. It's like almost like a $300 mic. I'm like, okay, we'll go ahead and buy it. And for the life of me, I cannot find the checkout button. And I'm like, where I love that. is the checkout I button? I 
love that. Uh, 2020, come on, guys. That, that means, by the way, that no one actually tried to buy anything on their own site. Oh, definitely. Def- I, I'm looking through it, and I'm like, where is your checkout? Buddy? Come on. And turns out, you know, I mean, like, typically we have the checkout, you know, in the right upper corner. It was right. there, but they had designed it so differently. It threw me off completely. And mind you, I'm somebody who's on the web constantly. Same thing. I'm like, you know, I go in. President's Day, I want to buy some furniture for the kids. You know, there's some sales and discounts, and I have like you know, a credit card with this furniture store. I add two bedroom sets. I'm like, okay, we're going to go ahead and spend like, you know, those $4,000. It is what it is. And I'm ready to check out. And I'm on their mobile site, and I'm sure almost everybody's on mobile. And I get this pop-up that appears and disappears again. Also, I'm unbelievable. You know, and I'm like, are you guys kidding me? This is a $4,000. And I'm not to be kidding. And I'm not, not the single person. So my wife pulls it up and she's like, well, let me see. And, and she does lots of the, the CRO work for us. So she's like, yeah, they have a bug. And she literally like does a couple of things and she figures out how, I'm like, how do you do that? You know? Yep. No, we had, the, by the way, on our, we, on our blog at one point, we had, a, we had a, a pop-up and there was a bug. You couldn't get rid of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. It was there because lots of times people don't visit their own site, correct? Like, right. No, we just, caught it really quickly, actually. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> no, like, you know, and it's funny. So I'll continue with that. After she figures it out, I start the checkout and guess what? My session had expired and the items are God. removed from the, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like and I have not placed the order. And you're, not, you're not going back. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, that, that, uh, exactly. This. I'm like, I'm not going to deal with this. You know, I'm like, screw this. Uh, but imagine how much money they, they're losing. Yeah, uh, $4,000. I mean, exactly. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more than that. Right. Like, if it's $4,000 per day, you just do the math. <laughs> I don't want to do that math. That's crazy. Yeah. Also, I don't like math. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you're, when you're talking about this, you know, what's safe, what's familiar, do you find that it's hard to be innovative at the same time? Because you're always trying to make sure that it's familiar. So how, do you, how do you innovate? So, that's actually one of the challenging things, correct, with, with marketers. Marketers are very predictable because we always copy other marketers. Right. We're lazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, to some extent, it's just easier that way. So there's this right balance between providing users with the experience that they expect, correct? So the button's in the right place. When right. I click on them, this happens. The product offering, though, has to be unique and different. You need to figure out, and I always tell people, and I take this uh, from Keith Cunningham, uh, what he says, you need to figure out the difference that makes the difference, correct? The difference in your product and your offer that makes the difference for your prospect where they say, I want to buy, I want to buy this. And this is a hard one. Um, I'll give an example from the Purple uh, mattress. Okay. Uh, they say 50% of the people who go to Purple and use it love it. And the other 50% absolutely hate it because of the way it's structured. Yep. Now, when you go on the on Purple's website, it's just kind of standard, you know, but the mattress itself and how they create it is, is very unique and very, very different. Um, in that sense, I think there's place for innovation and there's place for traditional things that people expect. So when you're doing, when you're innovating, right? You know, everyone has certain biases that you walk in with. Definitely. Right. So, I, I, you know, and, and it, they're very hard to catch and they're very subtle, but they're very meaningful and they're very dramatic when they do come out. If you're being innovative, there is a certain amount of bias that I like this. Mm-hmm. How do you catch that? It is so extremely challenging. So I'll give you another another story. So I mean, you have your wife, so that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always trust her. And I tell her, I'm like, you know what? I'll, I, okay. I will yield to right. you. You want to do this? What are you talking <laughs> exactly. about? Exactly. Right. Uh, so th- there's this guy in India who sits there and looks at, like, you know, you're talking about a billion people living, and he says, you know, a high number of those people, you're talking a high percentage, they don't have appliances. They cannot afford appliances. They cannot afford, you know, to have a fridge. And 
he says, you know what, we can build a fridge that's really cheap. Instead of paying $500, $1,000, you can buy the fridge for $60. He goes to Harvard and he talks to a whole bunch of professors. He talks to the late professor, uh, the uh, professor, the late uh, Christian, uh, Leighton Christensen, who is basically the father of innovation. And he tells them, you know, we have this idea. What do you think sounds like a great idea? Let's go ahead and do it. So they invest, they raise funds, they build this fridge for $60, which is amazing. It's an innovative product. They put it out in the market and they had interviewed people and people told them, yes, you know, we cannot afford like, you know, the fridges that are like a thousand or 600. They put it out there and no one's interested in buying the $60 fridge. Why? Why? Simple. Because people have have basically figured out ways around buying the $600 fridge. They buy their produce every day. They have ways to cool the water. They cannot afford to pay even the $60 for this fridge. So... Wow, that's that's bias right there. And people had told them that by wow. the way during the interviews, but they just did not listen. They were listening like, "Well, I can't afford the six hundred dollar." People were telling them they cannot really afford even the sixty dollar, but they just did not listen. You're talking about Harvard professors who failed, the innovators, the investors, and basically they just went, you know, they went bankrupt. Wow, that's like good intentions failing miserably. There you go, there you go. So I always have to remind myself to you always ask yourself this question: What am I not seeing? Yeah. You know, uh, what don't I see? But that, you, you, you need to have somebody on the outside. Oh, definitely. And, and sometimes, like, you know, it's kind of the thinking time. Which, or, you know, hurts your ego, by the way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I've been humbled doing CRO. <laughs> I've been humbled Yeah, so you're working times. with your wife every day. <laughs> you know, right. that, it's just funny because sometimes I would look at something and I'm like, oh, surely this is going to win. I mean, this is just absolutely genius. And then you put it out and, like, you know, people think otherwise. I'm I like, are that. you guys kidding? I've had that. Like, I love this article. It's my best article I've ever written. Foomp. Mm. Nothing, you know, and, and and then like you know, I I will do an article that's really quick, and I'm like, what, what, why is why are people right. sharing it? You know, and it's like, uh. I was talking to Barry Schwartz about this at one point. Mm. We're talking about you know, um, he said that he was surprised. You know, something some things he thought like everyone's going to talk about this article, like it's like it's going to be buzzworthy for sure, and then no one talks about it. And then he gave me a couple of topics where he thought no one's going to talk about this, and it was everyone's off the charts talking about it. So you never know. I, I I've learned this, so this is going to date me, but I mean, again, like you know, in the old days. 13, 14 years ago, dig.com used to be big. And like one of the things I'm like, oh, I want to get on the first page of dig. That was like a big thing. Like, you know, you were just like first page of Reddit. So. And, you know, we would write these articles and I'm like, oh, this is so like, you know, first page worth it. And nothing happens. And then a couple of times I write something I'm like, so silly. I'm like, really? This is what people liked? But, you know, people in their, in it's their almost, minds. It's almost insulting. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't even think about it. I just <laughs> put it aside and just look at it, you know. Okay, so since we're talking about ranking, mm-hmm. I'm glad we're talking about ranking. So this is an SEO podcast. And okay. CRO, you know, SEO, they sort of go hand-to-hand together. But I'm wondering, um, does a good UX from a CEO perspective and a good UX from an SEO perspective, do they completely align or is there some sort of discord between them? I think at some point, maybe 10 years ago, we used to say that there is some discord mm-hmm. between them. But in all honesty, I think everybody caught on, whether SEO or UX or CROs, that ultimately... The goal is to help increase sales. Increase sales. I can have the most amazing ranking, but if not, if I'm not generating sales, who cares? I can have the most amazing UX, but if people are not coming, then who cares? So you gotta work hand in hand. On that note, now let's say we're talking about UX and CRO, and lots of times understanding your competition is also extremely critical. So for a long time, I thought I'm like, oh, we compete with other CRO firms. We're a CRO firm. We compete with other CRO firms. And then, because people hire us to do increased conversions, then one day it hit me that people actually do not hire us to increase conversions. People hire you, hire me, hire SEO to increase sales. 
guess what? All of a sudden, my domain of like you know competition increased tremendously, and this hit me hard. It hit me. I, I go to this one company, and we've been chasing them for a while. Large marketing budget, a hundred million dollars annually on just marketing, and I'm talking to him. I'm like, we don't cost that much. You know, you can hire us. He said, you know, we're spending like you know about eighty million dollars on print catalogs that we mail that we send in the mail. And I'm like, what? God, it's crazy. You know, and, and that's what we're competing with. You know, I would have never thought about that, but really in his mind, and it made sense, by the way. For him, it made sense. He knows exactly how much money he generates. And I'm like, oh, what I'm competing with is a service I've never considered that I'm competing with. So understanding your competition also helps you increase your conversion rates. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then there are many, many points or many, many instances where who you think your competitors are are not who your competitors oh, are. Because we take competitor analysis very linearly a lot of the time. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's a good that's a good point to sort of, okay, so I have this, you know, to sort of like switch a little bit. So I have this fun game that I do called Optimize It or Disavow It. If you're a long-time listener of the show, you know that it means, I mean, they're going to give you two options that are really, really good, and you're stuck choosing one good option over another oh good God. option. That's, you know, it's kind of uh, comfortable. Let's see, let's see. Or I'll give you two really bad options, and you're stuck choosing one crappy option over another crappy option. <laughs> so this is Optimize It or Disavow It. When thinking of UX and CRL, if you had to pick one over the other, and you can't say it depends. I mean, you can, but it's a cop-out. No, I, 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 I hate it. Okay, good. Thank you. Know, awesome. I, I have a rule against it. Depends. <laughs> so if you're building a team to do CRL, do you build your team with people who are one or the other, mm-hmm. who have strong technical, have a strong technical background or a strong background in marketing psychology? Oh, God. I actually, uh, it's funny because I have to deal with that quite, quite a bit. I would go with strong technique, uh, not technical, sorry, strong psychology. Okay. I would choose that anytime. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I agree. With, I mean, intuitively, I agree with you, but you're the experts. Why would you go with that one? Yeah. I, so I come from a technical background. I'm actually, like, every once in a while, I'll pull up, like, you know, something and I'll program it myself. Um, you can hire a good programmer. They're easy to find, uh, with all due respect to my programmer friends. All due respect. Uh, all due respect. Go. However, finding a marketer who really understands psychology, oh my God, they That's are very so, rare. so difficult, so difficult. Um, I can also, by the way, I can teach a developer how to become a marketer, but it's not the other way around. So I'm always looking for that marketer that's able to sit down, drill deep into human motivation, spend the time and invest the time into understanding marketing. Uh, I have some marketers on my team who always tell me, oh, I want to learn programming. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> You know, marketing is such a humongous ocean, and you have limited time in this life. <laughs> Invest it in learning marketing. Stick to your like, like I said in my things in my uh, SMX speech. Stick to your career profile. There you go. Yeah. There you go. No, that's true. Like marketing, I in psychology, all those things. Like at a certain level, you either have it or you don't have it, and that's it. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's hard. Like you know, I'm always amazed. Like you know, sometimes I see somebody who really understands marketing so well that I'm like, oh man. I just want to follow them and just learn from them. Um, you can you can just learn so much because you're really learning about human psychology. And it's mm-hmm. funny because we're all humans. Yet you know, right? We're not all programmers, so, but we're uh, all humans. But but there's the the program. And I always talk about like you know SEO versus CRO. So when you're doing SEO, you're trying to decipher to a good extent the Google algorithm, a machine algorithm, correct? And now it's a lot more complex, a lot more complex than te- ten years ago. But when you're doing CRO or psychology, you're trying to decipher the human algorithm. 
And oh my god, that is also a whole other like you can buy volumes about. Like as much as Google will try to act like a human, which I very much on the on the on the on the bandwagon that they are doing that and doing a great job of it. Imagine Google as your wife. Okay, this never going to be as complicated as your wife. A lot of wife jokes in this episode. <laughs> I'll just make sure my wife doesn't listen. No, to no, this. I can say what I want. My wife does not listen to this. So oh, yeah, I am. I mean, one day she will, and I'll be in big trouble. But no, it, it, you know, it's always going to the human personality. I talk about this a lot in this podcast that machine learning will develop, AI will develop, but it's never going to get to the point where it, it is anywhere near the ineffability, the depth of the human personality. Uh, human personality is, is it's so, something remarkable. So so complicated. Yeah, uh, that uh, been around for thousands, tens of thousands of years. Yet we still don't understand ourselves, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's we never will. We never will. Uh, I'll mention a story about robots and, and and humans. If we talk about robots, if you ask me to draw a robot and you draw a robot, we both probably going to draw something similar. Although robots don't. My exist. drawing will suck. Oh, my, yeah. I, I think mine is worse. Okay, <laughs> let's <laughs> so, do this. Yeah, yeah. All right. but we would draw something very similar if you think about mm-hmm. it. So, although it doesn't exist. So Sony, um, I think you know, 20 years ago, they said, you know what, we want to build a robot. Um, and then they thought to themselves, like, you know, those like a really smart team. They're like, oh, we're not going to build a robot in the same like, you know, version that we, you and I imagined. They built it as a small puppy. Now, AI at that point was not really advanced. So really, it was not really that great. But they released it anyways. And lots of times when you went to that puppy, you know, that Sony had released and cost about $2,500 and he told it, sit. It just would not respond to you. Go. It doesn't respond to you. You called it because the program was just was so bad. The way they marketed that puppy was not as a robot. They marketed it as a puppy. So the human mind and how we play tricks on ourselves because it was marketed as a puppy. When people asked it to sit or gave it the command and didn't respond, they That's said, amazing. They said oh, oh, puppy. Oh, I love the attitude. No, dude, it's not the attitude. It's <laughs> it just, just bad programming. <laughs> The New York Times Review and the London Times Review, they said, oh, the attitude that this, you know, puppy had. And it's just amazing how by creating, reclassifying this robot into a different category, although everybody knew it's a robot, people start playing tricks on themselves. That's confirmation uh, bias. All the best. way. All the at way. At its there best. That's a good point to end. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, good luck. You're, you're speaking tomorrow here at SMX, so I good am. luck on your presentation. By the time this episode airs, it'll be well over, and I'm sure it'll be awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having you, me. You got it. My pleasure. And we are back to your regularly scheduled Insert SEO podcast. Don't forget, follow the Insert SEO podcast now on Twitter at Insert underscore SEO. Just thought I had to drop that again for you. Thank you, Morty. You're welcome. In case you forgot. Or you, yeah. you can also rewind the podcast to hear that again and again and again, if you so choose, if that's your thing. <laughs> right. Go, go ahead. Go for it. It's in search underscore SEO on Twitter. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. So I have been looking to share this data for so long. Okay, but between COVID and this and that, we never got to it, and it was a crying shame. It is a crying shame. Anyway, a little while back, I took a look at what sort of SERP goodies are showing up, um, you know, on on the SERP with your feature snippet. You know, what SERP features are showing some skin on the SERP and vying for user attention, um, which you would rather not have there because Google, you know, users may be clicking on those other features and not your featured snippet. So it's what's competing with feature snippets on the SERP for user attention because we are going data. I'm all about qualifying things. 
qualitative analysis is just my thing. Not good, not bad, just my thing. And I don't remember what it was that got me thinking about this. Um, trying to remember. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I was thinking, okay, what else shows up on the SERP that would compete with other SERP features? Like, what would show up on a local pack that might compete for user attention away from the local pack and take user rise somewhere else? I'm just making that up. I don't know. Local pack, not so much really shows up there. And, of course, the mother of all SERP features, which isn't really a SERP feature anymore. It's organic. One, doesn't matter. Okay, but the mother load of all SERP features is the feature snippet. So I'm like, all right, uh-huh. why don't we take a look, use Rank Ranger data, and see what other features tend to show up with feature snippets and, you know, what could be competing for user attention. So and what else could you try to win if you don't have the featured snippet? Good point, right? If you know what yeah. else is showing up and you can't get that feature snippet, well, let me try to get some of these other goodies and distract users away from my competitor's feature snippet. Most definitely works right. both ways. Um, so I took a look at about, uh, dozens of data points over 2019 to see what shows up with feature snippets both on desktop and on mobile. Um, Before you start, you start babbling. Let's run through the numbers, okay? Okay. So you thank you. <laughs> you <will go. laughs> So you wrote now, in was that a, wait? Article. Was that a suggestion or a command? <laughs> a command. A command. <laughs> so much shall be written, so it shall be done. To quote Yul Brenner from the Ten Commandments. <laughs> You saw that, right? You just follow. You just follow after my lead, okay? Yeah. F- so fine. <laughs> you Go wrote ahead. in the article. Yes, this was a blog post, quote. by the way. This was a blog post yeah, that I did. But we're right. going to go into a little bit of a different direction with this. I'm sorry. Right. Your wish is my Thanks. command. Go ahead and yeah. do your thing. <laughs> so as I was saying, don't you let me wrote interrupt in you. Article. Ah, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> in the article, <clears throat> below is the percentage of time a given SERP feature appears on the same result page as a featured snippet on both desktop and mobile. So on I like desktop, how you say mobile. Mobile. Not mobile. It's mobile. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you desktop. Have how I, I have a problem with everything. Don't you understand? <laughs> I will criticize, critique, and cynically approach everything except myself. Anyways, let's run run through uh, the numbers. Okay. So on desktop, um, the knowledge panel appears six point fifty two percent of the time with a feature Local snippet. Not, not wait, 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 so, wait. Let me please allow me to clarify that. Yeah. A knowledge panel does not show on the SERP six point five two percent of the time. It shows with a feature. It shows like around t- like, around like um like ten percent of all SERPs, fifteen percent of all SERPs, whatever it is. It shows with a featured snippet six yeah. percent of the time. All these numbers are with featured snippets. Sorry, I wanted right. to, to clarify that. Oh, yes. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. The next feature, which at your discretion. Local pack, 6.55%. Top stories carousel, 3.28%. Yeah, lo- top and stories don't really show up with feature snippets very often. Just 3% of all tops of all feature snippets also show a top stories carousel. Interesting when it does happen. Right. Sorry, I'm interrupting ads. you again. <laughs> yes. Ad- You're saying and or ads? <laughs> ads, ads. Ads, okay. Yeah, 57.39%. That's a whopper. A lot of ads with those featured snippets. That's a whopper. <laughs> Big one. Video box, 57.71%. That's also a whopper. A lot of videos on there with the featured snippets. I feel like I'm arrested. A lot of videos on there with them featured snippets. Come and get it. 
For those of you who watch 80s wrestling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who didn't watch 80s wrestling, you're like, what's this guy doing? Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. What else we got? (laughs) Very sorry. (laughs) Related questions. Oh, you're going to like this one. 88.13%. Yep. 88.13. Related questions, by the way, is what we call people also ask. So those show up with feature snippets 88% of the time. Right. And video box plus ads plus related questions, 29.22%. That's also crazy. So if you have a feature snippet on 30% of those feature snippet SERPs, you also have a video carousel, an ad, and the related questions box. That's insane. Mm -hmm. So you see that there's sort of a breakdown here, right? Knowledge panel, local pack, um, top stories carousel, not so much. Ads, video box, related questions, those are your big ones. And they appear... All of those three together, well, four if you include the feeder snippet, so video box ads, related questions, and a feeder snippet, all show up on the same results page f- like 30% of the time. Nuts. Nuts. Should we do mobile? Right. Yes. Or as you mobile. call it, mobile? Mobile. Go, like to quote the who, going mobile. <laughs> who are the who? Mobile. What? What's wrong with mobile? Nothing. I like that. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it's great. I like that. It's very sophisticated, I think. Mobile. It roll it rolls better. Okay. You can like really exaggerate it more. Mobile. <laughs> Not like, you know, okay. crude New York or mobile. It's mobile. Shut up, Morty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shut up, Morty. <laughs> like my kids. Shut up, Dad. <sighs> okay. So numbers. Okay. Let's run through quick. Let's do it. I won't interrupt you. Okay. Oh really? Okay. So I'm not going to stop. Okay. Knowledge panel, 1.17%. Local pack, 2.56%. Top stories carousel, 2.05%. Ads, 54.92%. Related questions, as in people also ask, uh, 63.73%. Ads plus related questions. 48 plus 0.9%. Yeah, totally crazy. So you notice a a drop-off in the knowledge panel, local pack, top stories, carousel. They show up even less with feeder snippets on mobile or mobile. And that makes a lot of sense because there's just not a lot of space. In other words, on on desktop, you have the right side of the page, right? Right. So you can show the knowledge panel. Or you have way more that shows up above the fold on desktop than you do on mobile. Mobile. So those, those sort of top heavy features, you're going to see them fall off. Or the knowledge panel with the right-hand side, it has to go in the main column. That's going to fall off. And by the way, you'll notice, for those of you who are astutely listening, that we didn't do video on mobile. And that's because we didn't start tracking the video box on mobile in earnest until late 2019. So I did look at the data on that. It's a much more limited data set. Again, we didn't start tracking that until way later in 2019. But from what I've seen, the vo- the mobile video box shows with a mobile featured snippet about 10% of the time, perhaps more. Um, so there's definitely a lot of competition there. It's definitely different, okay? Uh, I mean, some things are relatively the same, related questions and ads, mobile, desktop, that seems to be pretty similar, okay? But... There, there, the point is there's a lot to compete with the feature snippet, but you do have to be careful about the data here because each of these features has their own advantage and disadvantage. Like take ads. Ads appear above a feature snippet. 
They're the first thing the user will see. They will not see your feature snippet. There could be four ads that appear above a feature snippet. That's a lot of heavy competition, right? Well, yeah, because they're above a feature snippet, but they're also ads. And ads suck. No one likes ads. Ads are all skeptical of ads. Ads are evil. Okay, I'm I'm going too far with it. But yes, there may be four ads above your feature snippet, but it's not the same thing as having four organic results above your feature snippet. So you have to qualify it, right? Knowledge panel, local pack, I mean, not really the same intent. It may not mean much. A knowledge panel could. A knowledge panel could. A knowledge panel could, in theory, right? It could match the same intent. That's true. I take that back. I would imagine, the first off, those cases are outliers, especially on mobile, with there being limited space on the SERP. But even on desktop, one, a lot of the cases where you have a feature snippet and, and a knowledge panel, there's a lot of cases where they're both Wikipedia URLs. Hmm. And it's showing very similar content in there. So I'm not terribly afraid of a knowledge panel if I have a feature snippet there. I'm just not. Um, but that Okay, but that's really the point, right? You have to start thinking about this because data is awesome. The data here is awesome. I know I did it. But you have to look at what implications are there based upon what those competing features mean. You know what I mean? Right. Right. No, for sure. Like, I personally like the video box, that the video box is a huge distraction because I love video content. So I automatically gravitate towards it. Yeah, I me, me too. I'm a big video person. I love video. I can spend my whole yeah. life on YouTube, which is kind of, which is <laughs> which is kind of the point, right? There right. are there are a million ways you can take the data here. I mean, right. if you have a, a strong feature snippet, meaning it's 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 a real feature snippet for a real informative query, not one of those feature snippets that Google shows where you you know you type in a really long tail keyword and Google shows a feature snippet anyway. I'm not talking about that. Not like some obscure long tail keyword that Google is just throwing up there for the sake of whatever. Those are meh, whatever. Um, but imagine it's a real feature snippet, okay? Like something really, you know, top level, high search traffic, high search volume, from, you know, a substantial feature snippet. And imagine there's nothing on the page but the feature snippet, the organic results, and a related questions box, the people also ask box. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if, the in- if Google's getting the intent wrong with the, with the feature snippet, People are going to start opening up those questions in the in the PAA box and the people also ask box, and they're going to start either skimming the content in those boxes or they're going to start visiting the URLs in the in those boxes. So it's really the, that's the entire point. Like you have to really understand what is on the page, right? I did it. Okay, let me let me let me take this back a step. Why did I do this study? Was it to tell you oh ads are going to impact your you know your CTR feature snippets you know x x percent? No. That's not what the study is about. And there's no way I could possibly know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I- <laughs> I'm listening. Okay, no, yeah, it's, I'm, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad you're listening. What you have to say for once? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> I think we take these studies the wrong way a lot of the time. And then we think, oh, wow, ads show up you know, 50% of the time with a feature snippet. Oh, my gosh. That's not how to take this study. This is not meant to tell you Okay, you're you're competing with an ad X percentage of time. Here's what's going to happen to your traffic from this feature snippet. It's more a wake-up call. It's challenging. I did this study to challenge the general notion that a feature snippet is an automatic win, meaning there's a lot of eye candy on the pages. 
there's a lot of things. Showing some skin, trying to get some attention away from your feature snippet. So now you should, Sapir. Investigate. Investigate, thank you. Not like, oh, <laughs> this is it. I've read the study. Now I have information. No, you don't. You have nothing. You don't have nothing. You should read the study and whatever. Um, you don't have nothing. But it's really more a wake-up call to now you need to start thinking into things. And I spoke about this in a recent post where we went through how to qualify your rankings. It's the same premise. You need to qualify your rank. You need to qualify the feature snippet to see, like, you know, how, is, how does this feature snippet win? How powerful is it really? Okay, but how do you do that? But, yeah, that's a good question. Um, two steps. Two steps. One, and this is, okay. This I did not cover in the study. This is exclusive podcast content. Ooh. Here it comes. <laughs> Drum roll? Drum roll as I, as I think about how I'm going to explain this. Ready? Drum roll. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the distraction. Let me keep talking for a second <laughs> while I can conjure this up in my head. Two ways. Two ways. Two ways. Okay. Yeah. One is you need to see what's actually showing on the SERP with your featured snippet. It's not enough to know. Okay. Um, in general, ads show X percentage of times with feeder snippets. Okay, you need to. It could be an image box, which I did in the study because I didn't think it was that pertinent. I have, I have limited time, limited resources. I picked the features I thought were the most important, and the image box wasn't one of them. And I could be wrong. You like a feature image box is super important, and it might be, and it might be for your queries. But this is exactly what I'm trying to say here. You should look and see what SERP features show up with your feature snippet. Which, by the way, Rank Ranger will tell you in its Rank Insights report. So head over to Rank Ranger. Okay, you know what I'm saying. It makes sense. Like, how are you supposed to know? Unless you know, how are you supposed to qualify anything? Unless you know what's on the actual page. The right. second thing is, even if you know what's on the page, right? I know that on this page with my feature snippet are two ads, an image box, and a related questions box. People also ask. Okay. But what's actually in those features and how does it speak to user intent? I'll give you an example, okay? You ready? Yeah. I was thinking about this. Um, let's say you search for, um, 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 where is the ivy at Wrigley Field? Or where does the ivy at Wrigley Field grow? What is Wrigley Field? What is Wrigley Field? Holy mackerel. Actually, you know what? I forgive you for that. No, it's baseball. It's baseball. Oh, is it a movie? It's in movies. No one cares about baseball. Except for the millions of people who watch realize. it. No one cares about baseball. Except for the millions <laughs> and millions of people who watch it. <laughs> Wrigley Field is one of the most famous stadiums in the world. It's a very, very old baseball stadium. One of the original, you know, from the 1900s kind of stadiums. I mean, they've obviously <laughs> revamped it. It's not like the, you're sitting in a 100-year-old seat from 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's the original stadium, and it's very famous. For the, the, the wall in the outfield is covered in ivy. Okay. Okay? Which, by the way, when you search for where does the ivy at Wrigley Field grow, at least when I did it, I got a feature snippet. Oh. But, yeah. But let's just say there was an image box there at the same time. Okay? Okay. The, that would answer the question, wouldn't it? Like, if I, I see in the picture where it is, oh, it's on the outfield wall, do I really need the feature snippet to tell me that? No. Yeah, you hope. Right. No, not necessarily. Right? Yeah, the feature snippet would tell me that. You're right. But I don't really need it. 
I could look at the image and get the same answer. In fact, in, I would go so far as to say embedded in that, in that query, in the intent in that query, is an image intent. That's part of the intent here. You want to see what it looks like. Or if it's not part of the actual intent, it's really the next natural result. Like, okay, where is it? Now let me see it, right? So if you had an image box there, you can do both at one time. You would know where it is and what it looks like. So in that case, you really need to qualify intent to say, okay, there's an image box here. Eh, image boxes, no one cares about image boxes. But yeah, for this intent, the image is really important. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, like 100%. You could also search for something like um, some politician's politic political policy on whatever topic and see a featured snippet, but see fresh news content on it as well. You mean fresh news content in the featured snippet or fresh news content on the SERP? On the SERP. Oh, okay, I get you. Yes, that's an all. I love that example. That's an awesome example. Right, let's say you search for, I don't know, like um, Trump immigration policy. That's a good, that's a, that's a great query because in the U.S., I think uh, the, um, Trump just um, put a, a freeze on immigration, right? So I would imagine, I haven't checked it out, but I would imagine you search for Trump immigration policy, you might get a featured snippet about what is immigration policy is in general. Right. And you probably would get a news box about the recent news. Right. Right? So yeah, news boxes only show up on 3% of all feature snippet SERPs, but in that case, you will see relevant content, like you know, newsworthy, up-to-date content, and the general policy at the same time. You might forget, forget the actual policy in general. Let me click on the news content. That's a great example. I, I didn't think about it. That's good. I like that. Oh, oh that's you. you're welcome. And that's good. That's good. Because speaking of the news, oh, no. oh check out that pivot. That's a million-dollar <laughs> pivot right there. That's a heck yeah, of a pivot, good. Morty. <laughs> Speaking of the news, there's some major news coming out on the SERP in Google land, in SEO, in the SEO world. So, Sapir, could you please hit it with the news? In a move which will be permanent, Google has opened its shopping program to all retailers for free. You will not need to pay to be featured within the shopping tab. Of course, you can still advertise for sponsored slots on the shopping serve. So Google said they did this because of COVID-19 and businesses are being impacted and they're moving towards a, an e-commerce model, which is great. I believe them. I do. Um, a lot of this also has to do with Amazon, right? Because now Google's opening up to way more retailers. It's an interesting move. I, I, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. I do want to go into it in more depth, which I will. In a deep thought, which will be featured, of course I will, which will be featured on the In Search Podcast Twitter page. So go head over to Twitter, type in at In Search (laughs) underscore SEO, and you'll see this in the coming days after the release of the podcast. A deeper look at what this means. Plug in away the Twitter page. Plug in away. Get those followers up. Can we move on? We can. And we okay. shall. Can we go back to you not knowing Wrigley Field for a second? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. It just bothers me. <sighs> okay, moving on. Do you know what Yankee Stadium is? Of course I know. See? I know Everyone knows the Yankees. Everyone knows the Yankees. Most popular. It's because of the hat. It's because know, of the hat. I know the Yankees because of the hat. Most yeah. popular sports brand in the whole world, by the way, because of New York, because of the NY and the hat. I don't think most people in other countries know what it means. Like, oh, NY, just New York is actually a baseball team. But yeah. Okay, I'm glad you knew that. Do you know the Mets? Yeah. Forget it. Don't you don't. It's okay. 
How about the Phillies? Marlins? No? no. Rangers? Mariners? No. Forget it. Okay. Uh, Let's stick to the news. <laughs> Thank you. Kaminsky Park, Where Wrigley Field. Okay, wait, wait. What about Fenway Stadium? What about what about Fenway? What about Fenway Park? What? Fen what? Fenway. It's where the Red Sox play. Forget it. Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red what Sox. It's, it's. Oh my god. It's better than red they underwear. Get penalty for wearing for wearing black socks. Or? Oh, black socks is a different story. We'll talk about it another time. Okay. No, there's no penalty there in baseball. <laughs> okay. Moving on. There is indication that Google, as it did a few months back, had an issue with indexing new content, which is, of course, a very big problem for news publishers. Right, and Google quickly fixed this one and said, hey, it's back, it's up, it's running, whatever, whatever. But it is interesting to see these problems keep showing up over and over and over again with Google having a problem indexing new content, which, you know, for your average site, they get it today, they get it tomorrow, okay, but for a news site, that sucks. That's my official commentary. That sucks. (laughs) That was super... Super deep. That was a (laughs) deep thought. Professional, yeah. Right. Professional commentary, right. Another deep thought with Marty Oberstein. (laughs) Moving on. Google's local service ads are offering vendors the option to list if they offer alternative services that are COVID-19 specific. For example, a plumber could list if they offer video consultations. Yeah. Tons of this is coming. Tons of this stuff is in the local in the local world. I saw another one where, um, in the um, okay, I'll spit it out. In the, in the local knowledge panel, there we go. Google is is adding in um for like a healthcare stuff. Like I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example, like uh, like some kind of clinic or whatever it is. They're putting in there like get online care. So let's say I don't know. You search for uh, Baltimore uh, medical care. Making this up, or you know, um, and you, you click on a local pack result, and you go to you see the business listing in the panel. Once you make the click, you might see in that local panel a a, um, a a button for get online care because we can't leave your house because of COVID-19. All right. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. Google will soon be asking all advertisers to verify their identities. The new program is set to launch summer 2020. I like this. I mean, this is meant to sort of prevent crappy ads before they ever get to the SERP. Right. This is good. Good. Yes, I was going to say that, right? Yeah, if my my last comment was, this sucks, this is good. Amazing. Fire bad. There's a great Saturday Night Live skit about that where Phil Hartman plays Frankenstein. They ask him, like, what do you think about fire? Fire bad. (laughs) What do you think about bread? Bread good. Anyway, again, dating myself because you don't know who Phil, Phil Hartman is. Oh my god. Right? Okay. Who's Phil Hartman? Um, Who's Phil Hartman? Shh. <laughs> Shush me. <laughs> Lastly. Lastly. Google has gone live with a feature that will offer you suggestions when the search term used doesn't bring up the right results. This way, when Google doesn't seem to have results that fit the query, you have some direction on how to search. This is really interesting. So first off, it makes it look go. Well, does it make Google look bad? No. All right. I don't think it does. I think the queries that this is going to show up for are kind of like out there anyway. But also like, look, you're being honest. Like here, like this is this is like a wacky query. I don't know what the hell you're searching for. Google's being transparent. I like that. I think that's a good, I think good way to go. There's a lot to talk about why Google is doing this, which I'll talk about in another deep thought on yeah. the InSearch uh, SEO podcast Twitter page, InSearch underscore SEO. 
I was waiting for that. There we go. Okay. But it is very – that does correlate to one of the other features that Google has been running. Google has been running this um, test that um, you, you could input the question you want. Like if you, if you do a search and like you didn't see the answer that you wanted or like whatever it is, you could input the question into a box. And Google says we'll have content people try to answer this, 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 this question for you. As if Google's trying to say, well, there might not be any content for this query, so we'll send this out to whoever. I don't know who these people are, and we'll ask it to generate content. So when you search again, there'll be things there for you. So very similar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And do you know who Phil Hartman is? No, I oh, don't. Leave me alone. God. If you, God. you ever watch The Simpsons? Hi, I'm Troy McClure. I mean, I never watched... Watched an episode of this. Oh episode. my god! Hi, I'm Troy McClure. I know, I know that's unusual. I know that's weird. Okay, as long as you know what, <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. It's just I don't, I, I don't really like cartoons. I don't know. It's not a cartoon. First, I can't watch Simpsons anymore anyway. But I, I, I hear that. With, I, I hear that with the cartoons. Like, I don't watch Family Guy. I don't really watch South Park because again, the cartoon thing kind of like eh, doesn't really work for me anymore. But the Simpsons. Yeah, is I never a watched different. any of those. Like, Whatever. It's, just, it's not appealing to me. Okay. Know? I'll let it go. That'll bring us to, you're welcome, that'll bring us to our fun SEO send-off question. So, Sapir has a very special question for us this week, Sapir. Right. So, since my sister gave birth... How big was the baby? (laughs) Shut up. Was it hairy? <laughs> no, that's like, I, I like. I'm gonna start asking it that way because people like, oh, "Does the baby have any hair?" Oh my god! You is know, it, is it hairy? hairy baby. I was a hairy baby. You were. I was not. All my all my kids also bald. Now I'm bald again. So <laughs> it's the circle of baldness. <laughs> oh god. Okay. So this week we're asking. Because that's the only question that came up, you know, to my mind. <laughs> if Google had a child... Would it be Harry? If Google had a child, would it be Harry? <laughs> no, no, the name, the name. The name. If Google had a child, what would its name be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go first, so please. So my answer... So I can think. Okay. I think Google would be like a megaloma- megalomaniac, right? So yeah, yeah. Google would just name it Google Junior. Google, oh, it's going the Junior. It's going with the Junior. How about like Google the junior, Third? Yeah. I like the Third. <laughs> Wait, yeah. who's who's the second? I don't know, the but first? the Third just sounds better. The third. I'm Google the Third. <laughs> I'm George Takai. You cannot just skip a generation. It doesn't work. If like it that. sounds cool, you do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> Look, no, seriously, who's gonna say? No, well, well, who's the second? Already. You can't beat the Third. Whatever. <laughs> If you can name a kid Apple, you can name a kid the third, even though they're only the second. That's my way I think about it. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, what what Apple month? Is a cute name. Apple. That's ridiculous. You name the kid Apple. Which, cute... That's so stupid. Come on, please. Who did that? Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. So and dumb. Please. What? It's cute. It's cute. Apple. Look, I named my kid Cucumber. <laughs> Hello, Carrot. <laughs> Cal. Cal would be a good name. If you, had name. if you had to name your kid after a fruit or a vegetable, Cal. Cal would be the way to go. Not pleasant to eat, but a pleasant name. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So when was, what month was the baby born in? I don't know. You, you, you don't know? Your, ba- your, your sisters had a baby. 
Oh, my my yeah. my my nephew. You yeah. Mean? I said he was born last week. Oh, so what it, month it, do you it, think it, he was born? I don't know. Just say the just yo, humor me. Humor me. What? Humor me. Humor me. Let's say April. April. So it would yeah. be called the April 2020 baby. Because that's Google's new way of naming oh, stuff. Oh, algorithm. Yeah, that was, just bad. that was good, right? Oh, that was and if it had, if, and the baby was born in May, it would be the May 2020 baby. Oh, that's, that's really good. That's good. Hey, oh, I, I, I got a compliment out of you. Twice in one day. Twice in one day. Oh wow, Morty! You're, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're surprising me today. I will give you a compliment as well. Then it's not so bad that you don't know what Wrigley Field is. <laughs> it's not so bad. Well, all the things I've chastised you, but you over. I actually don't care what you think. <laughs> there we go. We're back to normal, Sapir. And with that, that'll do it for the In Search SEO podcast this week. Tune in again next week for an all new In Search SEO podcast. It'll hit the airwaves. On Tuesday, like always, look for it on the Rank Ranger blog and wherever great podcasts are found. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be safe, be healthy, be inside. Toodles. Oh, I forgot. It's been in search because we're all in search of something. something. Toodles.